everyone. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Welcome to those of you watching online. I want to say a happy Independence Day weekend to everyone out there. I know that I'm so thankful for the freedom that this country provides. Well, my wife Emily and I were due to have our second child on July 8th, but surprise, she came three and a half weeks early on June 15th, our second child, a little baby girl named, yes, thank you. Thank you. A little baby girl named Marley Mac Alexander. Now, Pastor Bob says that all babies look like E.T. I say, come on, she's the cutest baby you've ever seen, a little baby girl. But big brother Maddox and mom Emily are doing great, and it feels like our family is much more complete now with little Marley in our lives. Anyways, uh, today we are in the final week of a series called A Time for Everything based on the book of Ecclesiastes. But to set things up, let me ask you a question. If God came to you right now and said, what do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. What would you say? I mean, no, really, stop and think about it. For fun, Emily and I like to chat about what would happen if we somehow miraculously inherited or found hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe you've daydreamed like this before too, kind of fun, but of course we would tithe and give several million to help the church and the poor. But for me, I would choose to pay off our car and our house, travel a ton, buy a lot of books, and invest. Emily would choose to buy a king-size bed to replace our queen-size bed. I don't know what she's trying to say about that. She would choose to remodel our home. And of course, because it's hundreds of millions of dollars, she would choose to buy all of HGTV. Just buy the whole thing. She just loves it so much. But Maddox, our almost four-year-old son, decided that he would want a chocolate milk and a donut from Grandma's Bakery in White Bear Lake. <laughs> Hundreds of millions of dollars, he wants something that costs him two fifty. dollars I can make his dreams come true every single day. <laughs> but if God came to you right now and said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it. What would you say? Is it hundreds of millions of dollars? Is it a perfect, clean slate of health? Is it a job, spouse, kids? Maybe a new set of kids. <laughs> Throughout this series, we've been looking at the words of Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon's life is recounted in other parts of Scripture as well. So we're going to turn to Second Chronicles. But before we do, to set things up a little bit, Solomon has just succeeded his father, King David, to the throne of Israel. And this is where it picks up in Second Chronicles. It says, that night, God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Well, this is exactly the scene that we're all imagining. This is the moment of truth. I mean, endless possibilities for Solomon. This is how he responds. Solomon replied to God, you showed great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you have made me king in his place. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. So instead of buckets of wealth, health or chocolate milk, Solomon asked for wisdom. Of all the things that he could ask for, Solomon asked for wisdom and God gives it to him. And this is how God replies, concludes with, but I will also give you wealth. So he's already given him the wisdom, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. So Solomon gets it all. Power, wealth, 
and fame. And to top it off, the Bible says he becomes the wisest man to ever live. And when he takes a look back at all the things that God has given him, power, wealth, fame, he concludes it's not those things that are key, the key to a flourishing life. It's wisdom. That's why later in life in Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes this, wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. See, according to Solomon, instead of daydreaming about buckets of cash, we should all be daydreaming about overflowing buckets of wisdom because wisdom is the pathway to a fulfilling life. And if there's a person to learn from, it's the wisest man to ever live, Solomon. Now, if granted one request, even though we'd all probably struggle to ask for wisdom instead of health or wealth, it does make sense. To be wise is to know what to do, when and how to do it, and then actually doing it. And there's a key distinction between wisdom and knowledge. See, knowledge is knowing what to do. It's an important part of the wisdom process, but it's not the complete picture. See, wisdom is knowing what to do, then it's making the right decision and then doing it. According to a, a Columbia University researcher who studied this topic, a person on average makes about 70 conscious decisions a day. So this is a person weighing out the alternatives and coming to a decision, on average. Over the course of the year, if you play that out, that's 25,550 decisions. Play that out over 70 years, that's 1,788,000. 500 decisions. So if life is truly a sum of all of our decisions, as it's been popularly said, then wisdom becomes the highest value. John Ortberg, in All the Places to Go, writes this. He says, the biggest difference between people who flourish in life and those who don't is not money. It's not health, talent, connections, or looks. The biggest difference is wisdom. The ability to make good decisions. Let's be real though. Wisdom doesn't come naturally for many of us. We're not born with it, nor is it inherited. When I was 11 years old, I was playing a summer league baseball game on the Longview Little League All-Star team. And my older brother, Ryan, who was 20 at the time, was one of my coaches. And so was my dad. Well, in the championship game of a tournament in Westland, Oregon... The game was tied at the bottom of the sixth inning, and I was on first base. My friend Reese, who was up to bat, uh, was up to bat and had hit puberty two years earlier than everyone else, which is a crazy advantage in little league sports. Am I right about that? But Reese crushed a ball in the left center gap. And with the game tied, I was sprinting around the bases, rounding third base, and the center fielder threw the ball home. Now, I wasn't a big guy back then, but I saw this little pipsqueak catcher standing in the way of me, home plate, and the winning run. Instead of going around or under or over this catcher, I decided that I was going to go straight through this catcher, just like the big leaguers. The problem was, I wasn't a big leaguer. I was a little leaguer. It's illegal to run catchers over in Little League. Okay, I actually think I knew this, but I did it anyways. I sent this catcher sprawling backwards into a pile of dust. And before we could even 
get up and figure out if we had won the game or not before we could wipe off the dust. The situation escalated quickly, and before anything else could happen, the umpire intervened and ejected me from the game. For what? Ejected as an 11-year-old. To make matters worse, my older brother Ryan, the coach, 20 years old, goes out to argue the fact that his little brother had been ejected, and he got tossed as well. Both brothers ejected from an 11-year-old Little League baseball game. But a lack of genetic wisdom has to come from someone. <laughs> my dad, not more than a few seconds later, went out to argue. He got the boot as well. All three Alexander men ejected from a Little League baseball game. Of course, wisdom doesn't run in the family. But today, my brother and I are both pastors, so God can use anyone. <laughs> obviously, obviously, we're not born with wisdom. Left on my own, trying to navigate decisions regarding my marriage, my work, my future, money. I'd leave a wake of plowed catchers, ejections, embarrassing moments, wrong decisions, and regret. And I actually don't think I'm alone in this. I talk to people every single week who are carrying around a lifetime of decisions that they regret. You know, this backpack can represent the decisions that people carry around, the decisions that, that people regret. And I call these if-only decisions. Because when it comes to, to relationship and, and dating decisions, I mean, people say, if only I had factored in God and faith before choosing to date and get serious with that person. And then this brick, the decision that a person regrets goes into the backpack and a person's life. When it comes to financial and money choices, if only I hadn't accumulated so much debt. If only I'd chosen to give, save, and live on the rest. And this brick goes into the backpack, the story of our lives. When it comes to, to career and work choices, if only I had chosen to seek wise counsel before choosing that job. If only I'd been more diligent and accountable at work. And the brick goes into the backpack. When it comes to school choices, if only I had studied more when I was in school. Into the backpack it goes. When it comes to family choices, if only I had taken a step back, counted to ten, before launching a verbal assault my family. And this brick goes into the story of our lives. And this backpack that we all carry around becomes an unbearable weight, becomes a, a burden and a barrier to the kind of life that God wants to give us. But see, God wants to free us from a lifetime of if-only decisions. Some people think they live with a lot of bad luck. I would challenge that thinking. Some people, including me, simply refuse and lack godly wisdom. Now, to be clear, godly wisdom doesn't guarantee a smooth and if only free life filled with 1,788,500 perfect and right decisions. Solomon knows this. But Solomon knows a life of godly wisdom is infinitely better than a life filled with if onlys. And he writes this in Ecclesiastes 2. He says, wisdom is better than foolishness. Just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools 
walk in the dark. Today, I want to help us all see a bit more clearly and become wiser in our decision-making. There are no perfect formulas that spits out a right decision every time. It doesn't work like that. However, it is possible to place ourselves in a river of godly wisdom to become wiser with our decisions. So with the brief time we have left by looking at the words and life of Solomon, I want to offer you just three streams that we can all enter in order to find this river of godly wisdom. And the first stream is this, the God stream. Solomon, who also wrote Proverbs, writes this, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And then later in Ecclesiastes, he says, Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. So true wisdom begins with fearing God. doesn't mean to be afraid of him, but to revere and honor him. One of the wisest guys that I know in this life is Bob, our senior pastor, and he wrote a fantastic book and primer on wisdom called Get Wise. And he has a, just a great definition on what it means to fear the Lord. Kind of a confusing concept, but he sums it up perfectly here. He says the, the fear, to fear the Lord means to have such a deep respect for God that we start every day and face every problem with an acknowledgement that he's in charge, not us. It's facing every day with a prayerful dependence on God, asking him to direct our thoughts, words, and decisions. Bob lives this out. If you arrive anywhere at the office between 7.30 and 8 in the morning, you'll find Bob in his office, facing the window, Bible on the desk, Journal next to the Bible, pen in a hand, seeking God before all else. Like all wise people, he knows the absolute essential and indisputable priority of seeking God before he does anything else. Do you remember when we used to have to actually stop at a gas station and ask for directions? <laughs> I mean, most dads stereotypically would huff or puff and refused to stop until they were 100 miles off course, and then they would ask for directions. Well, that was so 2005. Because now we have iPhone, Siri, GPS to get us anywhere we want to go. And with these daily guides at our fingertips, none of us really know how to get anywhere anymore. I mean, at least I don't. Ask me how to get to Target Field from here? No clue. But I can ask Siri, and she's going to get me there. Similarly, as Christians, we don't need to rely on our own intuition and direction. We've got the Holy Spirit to get us to the right place. See, when Jesus died, resurrected, and returned back to the Father, he sent us his Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that keeps us in this God stream. He promises to be our daily guide, guiding and directing our behaviors, thoughts, and actions to be filled with godly wisdom. Because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is as alive and available to us today as he would have been 2,000 years ago. But we've got to place ourselves in this stream. As Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Now, if wise people seek godly wisdom by fearing the Lord and seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The question really is, practically, how do they do this? Well, primarily, wise people spend time in God's word. 
I mean, 80% of godly decisions can be determined based on what's already in Scripture. I'm often shocked at how infrequently I turn to the Bible first when faced with a decision. And I'm shocked how infrequently other Christians turn to the Bible when faced with a decision. By the way, once a decision's been made, a godly decision will never contradict what's already in God's word. So we've got to make it a part of our day. Find a chair, a routine, a place. Read, study, interact with it. Use it to guide your quiet times and your prayer times. In James 1, or James uh, chapter 1, verse 5, James writes this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all. I know this seems so simple, but, but when is the last time you ask God for wisdom? Lately, I've been facing a lot of tough decisions in life and in work. In fact, it seems the older I get, the higher the stakes in leadership, the more people under my care, the more that my family grows, the tougher decisions become. So lately, borrowing a phrase from another pastor, I've been praying and writing down this phrase in my journal, and you can steal it from me if you want, but I've been praying this prayer. God, I declare that I want your wisdom in my life. And then as I move throughout my day, I trust that my mind and my heart is aligned with God's and that my decisions become godly decisions as best as I can determine. So ask for wisdom. Declare it over your life. And then put yourself in the God stream by spending time in Scripture. True wisdom begins with God. All right, once you place yourself in that stream, the second stream is this, the people stream. Solomon writes, better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Who are the kind of people in your stream? Heard the story a while ago, but on a sunny day in mid-August, a few years ago, Pastor Bill Hybels, who's the senior pastor at Willow Creek Church in Chicago, wanted to do some work on his home. He wanted to remove a set of 35-year-old stairs. And when he found out how expensive it was to hire someone to remove these stairs, he decided he was going to do it on his own for a fraction of the cost, even though he's not the handiest of guys. So he walks into the chainsaw store, puts a brand new chainsaw on the counter, and the much younger man behind the counter said to the 64-year-old Hybels, he said, have you ever owned one of these before, son? Hybels said, no, I haven't. Have you ever run one of these before, son? I was like, no, I haven't. Could could I at least offer you some protective gloves or a few lessons on how to run this thing? And Hybels at this point is feeling so exasperated and says, do you want to sell me this chainsaw or not? But he finally walks out of the store with the chainsaw in hand and begins working on these stairs. And eventually a neighbor comes over and says, you know, you really should be wearing some protective gloves as you work on these stairs. And Hybels at this point says, give me that chainsaw, you baby. You know, I'll finish this job with or without you. But right towards the end of this project, the neighbor is actually using the chainsaw on the stairs, and the chainsaw binds up on this one last big piece of lumber. And over top of all the noise, he yells to Bill Hybels. He says, reach in there and hold up this one last big piece of lumber. 
And right as he does, the chainsaw bounces up about a foot and slices right into his hands, just damages two of his fingers terribly. Heibel said that he had to count to make sure that all of his fingers are there. Now, there's a great lesson in this story because to think all of this could have been prevented if he just listened to the words of wise people in his life. Solomon writes, better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Even though this seems like a no-brainer, Solomon knows how difficult it will be to ignore the shouts of fools. I mean, our world is enamored with foolishness. Some of the top-rated shows on television are The Kardashians, The Bachelor, Bachelorette, and The Real Housewives of Orange County. Okay, and I know I'm not the only one who watches these shows. (laughs) Our world is fascinated by foolishness. And truth be told, there are plenty of days where I spend way more time listening to the shouts of fools. Athletes, TV shows, movie stars. Hollywood stars, movies. I spend way more time listening to the shouts of fools than the quiet words of a few wise people in my life. But if I'm looking to increase my wisdom batting average, I know I need to turn down the foolishness and turn up the wisdom. John Ortberg says this, almost all train wreck decisions people make, and he notes, we all make them, could be prevented just by asking one wise person to speak seriously into our lives and then listening. Man, I think that's so true when I look back over my own life. Like the God stream, we have to be intentional about placing ourselves into the people stream. It doesn't work to wander aimlessly and hope that we're suddenly surrounded by godly people. So I want to offer you a couple of quick suggestions that everyone can implement after they leave today. And a couple uh, uh, ways that you can do this is through one-time conversations and people you don't know personally. With one-time conversations over the last 10 years, I've asked literally hundreds of godly wise people to speak wisdom into my life. Loose acquaintances, other pastors and leaders. Some are retired business people. Others are younger than me. If I feel like someone can speak wisdom into my life, I'm going to ask them. By the way, if at any given point I think I'm the wisest person in the room, that usually means I'm just sitting alone. So I need to make sure that I'm having coffee. (laughs) I need to make sure I'm having coffee with people who are wiser than me. When it comes to people you know personally, over the years I've filled my people stream with great authors and bloggers and thinkers like Andy Stanley, John Orberg, John Maxwell, Jen Hatmaker, Shauna Nyquist. I mean, the list goes on. Over the course of the years, I've read hundreds of books and filled up tens of notebooks filled with notes that I've taken from these books. And I continue to do this to this day. Why? Because I'm not very wise on my own. I need all the help that I can get. So ask yourself, who's in your people stream? I mean, Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes. He says, the words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. See, I'm telling you, the pain of if only is so much greater than the pain of a few wise words. All right, finally, once you find yourself in the God stream and the people stream, the final stream is this, the past future stream. 
Let me explain. When I started at Eagle Brook almost five years ago, I went through a self-awareness exercise. Kind of painful, but I emailed and surveyed 25 to 30 of my closest friends, family members, and colleagues to ask them several questions about me that they could respond to anonymously in order to gain more awareness. One of the questions that we asked were, was, what is it like to be on the other side of John when he's at his worst? Kind of painful to get these answers, but some of the answers that came up were, when he's driven to achieve something. Sometimes he cares more about progress than people. Someone wrote, he can be distant and standoffish if he doesn't get his way. Sometimes he can run people over in the name of a vision. Sounds like that 11-year-old who bulldozed a catcher, huh? You know, looking back, these people were right. Used to send off emotionally charged emails before pausing to gain better clarity. Forced my opinion in decisions rather than listen to others. And I may have occasionally put the phone down when talking to Emily when I wasn't getting my way. I mean, just occasionally. But if I'm able to put myself in the stream of these past experiences... To remember how it felt to act, live, and talk that way. I suddenly find the wisdom and the courage to change. I want to be known as someone who listens well. I want to be known as someone who loves people more than progress. So to this day, I incorporate strategies that that prevent me from doing those things again. See, I want to and I can make the right decision this time around. Because the past can be a great teacher. That's one of the reasons Solomon was considered to be so wise. He lived his life, looked back on his past, reflected on all the things that God had given him, and gained a godlier perspective as a result. So stop and think about it. What can you learn from your past? Are there areas or situations that you need to avoid? Because if you went there, you'd fall right back into the same old habits that got you in trouble in the first place. Well, this stream is called the past-future stream, so wisdom isn't just found in looking back towards our past. It's found in considering our future as well. And Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7, A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks about only having a good time. Kind of a morbid sounding verse, but some of the wisest people that I know are the people who've faced death and survived. It's given them a fresh perspective on life. My friend Heidi, at the age of 23, found out she had Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer, in January 2012. She said to me, when the doctor told me it was Hodgkin's lymphoma, I remember looking at my mom and I said, what's that? Once they explained, she said, I walked out to the parking lot, got in my mom's car, and just bawled in the passenger seat, feeling completely helpless. I think we've all been there one way or the other. She said, I instantly thought I was going to die. Well, six months of treatment, radiation, chemo, losing her hair, she became cancer-free. And it's been three years of being cancer-free. Since then, she married her best friend, Tyler. Despite the setbacks of chemo, had an adorable kid. Yep, thank you. She had an adorable kid named Oscar, and they bought their first home. She's not out of the woods health-wise, 
God has answered her prayers in this case. There's still other health scares along the way, but see, her brush with death has caused her to change the way that she pursues life. She said to me, life is short and it's fragile. I don't let a day go by without maximizing it to its fullest. Now, each decision that she, faced, that she faces is funneled through this precious future that God has given her. She concludes with this. I thought it was just fantastic. She said, God's wisdom is attainable. He's not far off and he doesn't hold out on us. So when I face life decisions, I pray, not passively, but boldly. Because I've witnessed the power of prayer and the faithfulness of God through that. She writes, before cancer, it was a lot about me, my desires, my plans, my future. Now when I'm faced with life decisions, I just want it to mean something when I come face to face with God someday. And she finishes, I want him to be honored in my life to the maximum. I know he hears that and knows that. Since this brush with death, she's become a writer. And there is just a beauty, a richness, a wisdom that she's gleaned as a result of all that she's gone through. But see, here's the key in all of this. John Ortberg writes this. He says, we don't need to wait for the pain of life to make wise decisions now. Don't wait for death to come knocking before considering your future. Don't wait for the pain of life before you make wise decisions now. Love your family now. Hug your son now. Call your daughter. Tell her you love her. Apologize to your parents. Seek reconciliation in the relationships that have been broken in your life. Be diligent and accountable and passionate at work. Get back into the streams before the pains of life come. Others of you maybe need to hear this. You are walking a thin, fragile line. You may not even be aware of it, but you are one unwise decision away from wrecking the future that God wants to give you. Delete the phone number. Don't text him back. Throw away those hidden bottles of liquor. Go see a counselor. And deal with all of those if-onlys that you've been carrying around for so long. Stop stealing time and resources at work. Don't throw away the future based on un one unwise decision. See, today wisdom is available to you. What stream do you need to place yourself in? Do you need to spend more time with God or wise people? Do you need to maybe spend some time this week reflecting on your past or considering your future? See, like the perfect father that he is, God wants to give us his wisdom. But we've got to place ourselves in those streams. Hey, one final word on wisdom and perhaps the most important. See, ultimately, there has only been one person who's ever been perfectly wise. We're going to fall short in our decision making every single day. Day. And ultimately, this perfect wisdom took the form of a person. In Colossians 2, it says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, God has done something incredible. 
Wisdom is much more than practical advice and the ability to make right decisions. 2,000 years ago, the perfect wisdom took on flesh and became a person. And this wisdom became a person that said things like, if anyone wants to find their life, they need to lay down their own desires and thoughts on what is wise, die to themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. This person became the wisdom that says, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you want real and life-giving wisdom, you will find it in me. See, wisdom is alive and available to us today because wisdom has become a person, and that person is Jesus. So maybe today is your day to recognize the ultimate wisdom in finding the one who has ever been perfectly wise, and that person is Jesus. Once you do, once you decide that ultimate wisdom is found alone in him, all of the other streams, the God stream, the people stream, the past future stream will lead you into this bountiful, overflowing, beautiful river of godly wisdom. Hey, don't miss next week. We're starting a new series called It's Hard to Believe. And we're going to wrestle with all of those doubts that we've all struggled with. And we're kicking off next week with a message called It's Hard to Believe in the Second Coming of Christ. So we look forward to seeing you then. With that, across all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the freedom that we've been provided to worship you freely in this country. Thank you for the people who've defended that freedom. And God, help us all to realize and understand and find the freedom that comes from a life of pursuing and being in relationship with your son, Jesus. I pray, God, for everyone here that I declare that we want your wisdom in our lives. Help us all to spend more time with you, gleaning that wisdom with wise people in our lives. Place those people in situations in our lives where we can become wiser with our decisions and help us all to just think about the kind of future that you want to give us. Lord, help us all to become wiser like your son Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for coming. If you'd like prayer, we'll have a prayer team down in front. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.